It's March 8th, 1997, and One Headlight by the Wallflowers is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Chart. Hello, I'm welcome. <laughs> I'm welcome anytime at Tell Me All Your Thoughts. Uh... Hello and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Al. I'm Quillen. And I'm Trav. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in 1994. April. A- April, that is. <laughs> uh, today we'll be talking about One Headlight, the second single from the Wallflowers' second album, Bringing Down the House. <laughs> burning. Burning burning down the horse. <laughs> One horse light spent five consecutive <laughs> weeks at the top of the modern rock chart. Here's a clip. are listening to a song written in 1995 i think recorded in 1996 and a number one hit in 1997 the wallflowers biggest hit uh let's get some quick reactions from travis first okay um we're just talking about this song right yeah we're just gonna start with this song one headlight man okay it's just kind of uh plotting god it sounds like tonic i don't know it's like a just just uh it's super popular. I guess there's something to be said for that. I don't like it, but other people do, I guess. It's just Have it's you always never missing. Liked it? I've never liked it. It always seems a little dark. Not in like a morbid way. Uh more like in a uh color and tone sort of way that is yeah. not appealing and not like a nighttime romantic dark, but just like a unappealing uh blank like a, a lakini's juice or a secret samadhi dark mm. yes but without the ugliness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's a good way to put it so yeah um it, it it's never really been something it, I, i've never changed my mind about it i've never felt any differently it's always just been the same quill what do you think um, I like this song. Great. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's of the singles from this album. It was always my, uh, I think second favorite. Um, are you all both the difference people? I think it's just Trav. Aren't you a, the difference person? Yeah, it's Colin. I, I am for sure. Okay. It's Quill and I, I do like the difference. Uh-huh. And it, it, yeah. Okay, Quill and second favorite. This is you my said. this is my second favorite single on the album. Yeah. One headlight. Um yeah, I think I Trev, I get what you're saying. It is plotting and, and pretty boring, right? It's boring. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I think and this is probably a larger statement about I'm sorry to cut into your thing. No, it's fine. Um a larger statement about the band or the album. Like the the lead guitarist is just not doing it for me. <laughs> He's just doing like basic blues stuff mm-hmm. and it um it kind of, like if there was a great lead guitarist who was playing like a lot of hooks and like maybe a more melodic like power pop thing 
like they sound like 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 Tom Petty in this era, like a wildflowers or like gin blossoms, like that sort of thing. It's really cool, but you know, but there's some Tom Petty personnel on this record. I didn't. Yeah. What is Ben um, Tench playing the B three? Mike Campbell of the Heartbreakers oh. is playing a lot of the, uh, I think a lot of the slide work in particular. Really? He was never in the same room as the band. He recorded his stuff at his studio and he shipped it over. But uh, I'm not sure. I, I know that he's he's pretty prevalent on uh, Sixth Avenue Heartache. I'm kind of wondering if maybe there's a, there's a closing acoustic guitar slide solo at the end of this song. And I'm wondering yeah. if that's him. That's a, good, a nice moment. Yeah. So I don't know how much he played on it, but there's like four different lead guitarists uh, on this record. And some, some of them I think are, pl- are all playing on the same songs and some of them are splitting up duties, but yeah, I think there's an opportunity. Yeah. It's screaming for like a supplemental melodic, uh, you know, uh, punch that it's just not getting. See, I think what uh, the appeal uh, of this song to me is the groove. I I really like the groove of it. I like the beat. I like. Yeah. It's very simple, but it's like yeah, kind of that gallop, and it's like definitely like a head nod song for me. Um, uh, I I think the melodies are fine, and like I think the chorus is memorable, and um, I I think overall it is a, a good, well done song. I just think it's like, um, I I just I. Your criticisms, Travis, I think are valid for, and you know, I I just think they're valid criticisms. I just don't, I guess, I don't feel fully that way. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think maybe I'm a little more, um, I, I'm, I, it just works for me a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, this song was really important to me as a kid. I I really loved this album. This was the you know, same thing as as uh, Secret Samadhi by Live. I got this album and that album both for my 12th birthday. And it was just, for some reason, those two albums just really loomed large over my whole middle school experience and definitely part of my high school experience. But I, I liked the atmosphere of this album a lot when I was young. And I think a lot of that was the keyboard playing. And I think a lot of it was the guitars. So I, I'm I'm not really with Trav on this one. I think that the highlights of this song are generally the guitar playing. To me, like, I don't know. I think there's a variety of different guitar sounds. And I think that there are some nice melodic lines and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to tell with this whole album, like, what's nostalgia what's what i genuine genuinely like and then on the flip side what's overexposure and what do i genuinely dislike so i'm having trouble figuring out like a a real authentic opinion on this at this time and i think i just kind of have to throw my hands up in the air but my feeling is that i i have sort of somewhat lukewarm feelings about this song now and and i'd say most of my negative feelings are about jacob dylan himself it's just not a particularly charismatic vocal performance, I don't think. It sounds, um, you know, super reserved. I don't ever feel like he's really, like, breaking through the mix, which, you know, is just part of him being a low-voiced singer. But I also feel like it has something to do with his personality, that he's not... He doesn't sound like much of a risk-taker vocally. Mm-hmm. and um, He's kind of bland, I, right? Unlike yeah. his father. Yeah. Yeah, I I do think that he's a little bit bland. He's a little bit buttoned up. But um, a lot of my feelings about this kind of have to be tempered by the fact that I uh, am pretty fond of the next Wallflowers record. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, uh, my understanding is, I mean, this song is just about sad stuff and a bad place to be. And my understanding is that Jacob Dylan was just in a bad place and he was really depressed and understanding that I feel like kind of helps me understand some of his vocal performance. And my, my final thing is that I, I'm not sure who's doing background vocals on this track, but this album is greatly livened up when there's a, there's someone is doing background vocals that are more charismatic than Jacob Dylan's vocals. And it's a yes. huge help. See, that's interesting. I, I would agree that they're more uh, charismatic, but like 
man, I feel like they're obnoxious a lot of the time. Um, huh. They're so loud. They're so, they're so loud. loud. And it's always... Sixth Avenue Heartache, too. Yeah. The chorus Well, now Avenue you know Heartache. what's He's going on with Sixth Avenue Heartache. No, what? You know who that's is singing? No. That's our buddy Adam D. from Counting Crows. Oh, go for it. No, it's not. It is. No, it's, it's not. Duritz. Get it out of here. No. Think about it. Stood by me. Stood by me. Oh, oh there it is. Oh. Yeah. Can't it's Duritz. that. Wow. So I thought it was the bald guitarist yeah. from the video. In the video, he's the one who's singing all the vocals. What a fraud. Um, all... In the video for Sixth Avenue Heart. Oh, I don't know about that. But I for, thought so. That's for what one I remember. No, he's definitely it's... singing the backup vocals in the video. And I'm pretty sure that's the case of The Difference. Just from memory, uh, I did not watch the video for The Difference. Uh, but listen, listen here. He's... <laughs> Listen here, you. <laughs> it's just too too much. The backup vocals are just a little too. It's like I know that we're all REM fans here, and like that Mike Mills is considered one of the great backup vocalists. But I feel like sometimes his backup vocals are way too loud and way too upfront and way too obnoxious. And this is similar, uh, a similar vibe for me. Um, so huh. it's probably that I, they're higher too, right? And, well, it's, and it's similar in that way where like they're higher pitched. So like and they're you've got like a, a lead singer with a huskier voice that's sort of lower and raspier. Could be that could be it. Also, it's constantly the the Becca vocals are constantly just singing like the third or the fifth, right? Like it's there's yeah. no like in, nothing interesting harmonically going on. It's just singing the right harmony um duritz gets uh he gets pretty elaborate on sixth avenue but yeah see i sure i okay I, yeah i trust you yeah <laughs> i don't have fond feelings for that song but uh i i trust you but yeah I, yeah anyways i it's just interesting like i definitely have a different take on and and they're they're well sung backup vocals and Mm -hmm. and sure they might liven things up a little bit but like i just feel like they're a little too much sometimes it is hard not to uh compare him to bob dylan it's hard not to think about bob dylan when you hear his voice i don't think about him at all i don't think he i agree with al i don't think oh i you don't i mean like you hear the voice and you're like oh i wish i was listening to bob dylan gosh i've never i've never thought that ever Listening to the Wallflowers. Wow, it's like a different. His music exists in a different universe. I mean, it's so completely different from Dylan to me. Yeah, I wonder if I. I've never listened to like Time Out of Mind. Is that the '96 Dylan album or something like like a uh, '90s something Dylan like album that? It's or with something. Daniel Lanois. Yeah, I wonder Most if the they're time. similar at all. Yeah, that's um, a good song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That was so condescending. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Um, but he's definitely polite. It just sounds very polite. The song, um, yeah. God Don't Make Lonely Girls, struck me as just like, uh, I don't know, a white collar, collar office worker going to a bar singing mm-hmm. karaoke and trying to be a tough guy. Between this and, and just Jacob Dylan's whole demeanor and the verve pipe, which we're going to talk about in, uh, what, a week or two? Two weeks? Mm-hmm. I feel like very similar um, style of vocal delivery. Both what I would think of is like very buttoned up. They both seem like they're um, intent on being sort of attractive, but reserved and, and they neither of them seem like they're um, spontaneous or that they're risk takers. I'm kind of wondering if there's something going on at this time in rock music that's sort of like a, a weird like silent majority thing where it's been like all these rabble rousers have been dominating the charts and we're we're these dudes who are just like we're just like normal dudes and we're wearing you know black t-shirts and we're gonna retake the charts and i'm sure that that's me mostly imagining things but it does feel kind of striking how just like normal dude uh a lot of these vocal performances are. And I think that probably when I was 12 years old, I think I was probably responding to that. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. And I like that about this mm. as, as a almost 40 year old, uh, suburban dad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it rocks. Um, 
I, the 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 one the most interesting thing about this song uh was discovering that it is the opening track on the album. I had no idea and I never would have thought. You never listened to this album? Never heard it before this week. What? Yeah. That is insane to me. Yeah, I've never heard it and I was shocked at the track placement and it made me kind of see it in a new context. I thought that was neat. Wow. Yeah. It's a good opener, okay. honestly. It's it, it it's a it's a unconventional opener. Yeah, yeah, it like does. Like chill, mid-tempo, like middle-of-the-road openers and that's... Not like yeah. an attention-grabbing, like, yeah, you know... Yeah, just kind of easing big... into things. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I used to like listening to this album when my family would uh, go on vacation. We would, like, get up at, like, 4.30 in the morning, and this would be, like, this would be the first album that I put on on my disc man in the car as, like, the back seat of the car. And it starts with that, you know, that guitar. And then the, the beat comes in and it was like, yeah, it was like this very subdued kind of like uh, the sun hasn't come up yet. Kind of like it was perfect for that mood for me. Um, That sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, I have some some personnel notes. I mean, there are session people and there, there are some standbys, but there's some interesting things going on here i mean there's the mike campbell thing a guy from the heartbreakers um the guy on keys which i think is a big highlight of this album and particularly the next wallflowers album is rami jaffe who um also <laughs> is responsible for all the keyboard ear candy on so much for the afterglow by everclear hmm. uh, which we'll talk about soon and he is now a permanent member of the foo fighters well, he's finally made it. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. He's in great and company. There is a session drummer on all of these tracks. His name is Matt Chamberlain. Matt oh. Chamberlain played on Adore. Uh, this. Sorry? Adore. By this Did he Pumpkins. play on Adore? Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't make Wait, note of that. Jimmy Chamberlain is the drummer from the Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins. Is that what you're thinking of? I'm thinking of Matt Walker. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. You, mixed, you just mixed up the two. That's no. I'll that's... see myself out. <laughs> uh, Matt Chamberlain played on. Um, I'm trying to think if it's the most recent Perfume Genius record or if it's No Shape. Oh wow. Um, I can't remember. He played on Title by Fiona Apple, and I think mm. there is one other Fiona Apple that he played on. He played on Heathen by David Bowie and uh, I think an, at least one more Bowie record. He played on False Priest by Of Montreal, and he played on the most recent Rufus Wainwright album, Unfollow the Rules. So he's kind of all over the place, but he's on some big deal records. That's quite sure. a variety. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, Jacob Dylan being depressed and kind of feeling defeated, you know, I think this album was sort of in limbo for a long time. A lot of band members left the band and the pedal steel player who plays so beautifully on so much of this record, his name was Leo LeBlanc. He was diagnosed with cancer during the recording of this album and died shortly after Damn. it was finished. So there's a, there's a lot going on and, uh, you know, really... I think there's an there's something to be said for the idea that this album is mostly a Jacob Dylan and uh Rami Jaffe. They're they're kinda like the two standbys or the the two that are, are, are seem like relatively permanent. And then uh Yeah, there's a whole rotating cast of characters. Well that's crazy. I didn't know that this isn't a real band. <laughs> yeah, on, on this record uh, I'm not sure that it is 100% a real band. Huh. Um, anything else you want to say about Bob? Have we ever talked about Bob? I don't think so. He's cool, man. 
I've to this day never put in the time or put in any effort at all to even try to listen to Bob Dylan. Yeah. I think it's like there was a time where some trusted friends had me almost convinced to finally do it, and then I, I never did it, and I, at this point, probably never never will. Huh. I always think of uh, something that Nick Hornby wrote in this book of essays called Songbook, mm-hmm. um, where he basically said he's not a Bob Dylan fan, but somehow he has like 25 Bob Dylan records. <laughs> And when he stops and he goes through all of them, he can explain to himself like, oh, that's why I've got to have that record. That's why I've got to have that record. But like, he's not, he doesn't like Bob Dylan. Like he's not like a big Bob Dylan fan. And I kind of feel the same way. Like when, when people just talk about the concept of Bob Dylan, I'm not particularly interested. And just knowing that Dylan was involved in something doesn't get me interested. But at the same time, I've got a list of probably, you know, at least seven or eight albums that I'm like, oh yeah, those are indispensable albums. Uh, and they all, they're all kind of for different reasons. Yeah. I remember, I, I feel kind of nostalgic about Bob Dylan because I think my, like the, the time I cared about him most was like early college and I remember I had uh, the essential Bob Dylan. There was that uh, the essential series of like yeah, greatest hits. I might hits. have had one of those. Yeah, and um, I uh, used to clean uh, like classrooms at like five in the morning before classes started when I was like a sophomore, and I used to listen to that um, on my disc man, and uh, just loved it. But it was also like dark. And it was so early and I'd gotten three hours of sleep or something ridiculous. And uh, so, yeah, I have really like fond memories of that collection. But then, you know, also just like, I don't know, the more time you spend with him, the better it is. Although I, I do have to say, I don't like when he like started changing his voice mm-hmm. uh, and doing like the Kermit the Frog, Lay Lady Lay stuff. That's a little Do weird. you like anything on Nashville Skyline? Um, n- not particularly, Oh, okay. not especially, um, I'm not, I haven't like, I don't dislike it, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, nothing really jumps out about it. Oh, okay. That's one of my favorites. I mean, between that and, and freewheeling just, just early, early, early Yeah, Dylan. And, uh, of course the man in me, you know, yeah, uh, that song's just, just so killer. Then listening to him play uh, Tambourine Man on acoustic guitar lately is just a really sweet treat. It's great. And I, I've been thinking about Dylan only very vaguely lately, but, uh, you know, our, our we, we are all talking about Norm MacDonald uh, and his, his death uh, the last time that we recorded. But I know that he was a big Dylan fan, and he was just a big fan of just, like, storytelling, just, like, plain spoken, you know, kind of like... Uh, North American storytelling. And uh, I, I think if you look at Dylan in that light, that's another way that he's pretty entertaining and cool. It's like, you know, all of his stuff is really smart, but you never have to look up a word in the dictionary. It's just that plain spoken kind of folk style. Uh, anybody can understand it. And uh, it, sometimes it makes you laugh and sometimes it makes you cry. And it's, uh, there, there aren't too many songwriters that can pull that off. I think just, just using words and uh, I don't know, sp- sp- spinning it into a little tale that's uh, not, not too different from Norm Macdonald's stand up all the time. I think, hmm. I don't know. He was a big country guy. Norm Macdonald was a big country guy. He was into his outlaw country singers songs with plots. Yeah. I mean uh, that his jokes are that way, you know, they're stories. Yeah. Yeah. His like, you know, long uh long form jokes. Uh Quill, you made the note that this is our first single to reach number one on all three of Billboard's rock airplay charts, modern rock, mainstream rock, yeah, adult, adult alternative. alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um is I mean I feel like that makes sense at this moment. I feel like that's kind of what's happening with this and like and freshmen. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Sheryl Crow fits into that, right? Sorry, uh, Ziggy's barking. Um, yeah. Sheryl Crow fits and, into that. And Long December, mm-hmm. uh, gross. you know, yeah. you've been talking about lately. Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, the biggest surprise there is mainstream rock, right? Maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Ziggy, be a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have much to say about this music video. There's not a whole lot going on. You got, you all got anything to say about this music video? No, they're just kind of playing, right? Um, yeah. It, uh, Jacob Dylan's goatee, though. Yeah. Is something. <laughs> do you remember people talking about how hot he was? I feel like uh, I do. I feel like I vaguely remember him being considered super handsome. Yeah. He's got... never in my life have I ever heard anyone say that about Jacob Dylan. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I feel like I remember uh, girls saying that he was uh, that he was pretty sexy. He's just got that that goatee, man. That that goatee that is literally just the hair on the chin and nothing like nothing else. Yeah. It's just a, oh, a, a relief pitcher goatee. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> a boomer Wells. <laughs> Yeah, the only things that I noticed are they have this star backdrop that resembles the album cover, and they're doing kind oh, of the yeah. same the same gimmick as the Lakini's Juice video, where they just the video is just constantly going in and out of focus, and that's kind of the action of the video. So that's all that I have to say about that. And their yeah. bald-headed guitarist is singing the background vocals in that video, and I believe Correct. that gentleman's name is Michael Ward. Michael Ward. So he did play on the record. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that he is doing the background vocals. Yeah, I, I figured that was probably the, the case. Yeah. Yeah. I always got that guy mixed up with the bald lead guitarist in Bush. Mm. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, uh, they, Nigel? Was his name Nigel something? Yeah, that sounds good. Nigel Goose, Goose Witch? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nigel Ferdinand? Where are you getting these names from? <laughs> my, my butt. <laughs> name dictionary. I think his name is Nigel something. Um, Nigel Sol- okay. Solwich. Nigel Pulsford. Apologize <laughs> to me yeah. right now. Shut up. <laughs> is it Pulsford? It is. Oh. I Googled it. I'm sorry for disrespecting you. Thank you. Okay, well, Trav, you're the newbie. Uh, yeah. So why don't you tell us what you thought of bringing down the horse? I will. Bringing down the horse is really good. Oh, it's a really good album. Come on. I felt like so. I was down on one headlight, but that was like this my second least favorite song. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, everything else was great. What was your least favorite song? Oh. You were gonna say that. Um, I don't remember. Was I it the it was song prob- called "Bringing Down the House"? <laughs> don't don't what? tell lies on the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, "God Don't Make Lonely Girls" is not a particularly exciting song. It's kind of straight bar rock, right? Yeah, but I didn't necessarily hate it. I think maybe "Invisible City" was my least favorite. <laughs> okay maybe i need to re- revisit it because it was also like i you know first time listening and it was like right after the hits and so i was coming down off of it and i was like okay this is like the reset uh-huh okay which it is but um that was the one that was maybe like uh there was just nothing to it um but god the singles are great and uh-huh they all happen like one after another. I wasn't it expecting the first to be hit songs? with like Are the first the, four it's songs. Four singles? of the first five. Yeah, okay. the, the Bleeders is mixed in there, but the Bleeders is a highlight. It's a great song. It is. It is. It's good. Um, mm-hmm. man, it was just like everything was was really consistently good. I mean, like going back to kind of comparing it to like Wildflowers. There's like a a Midwest blue collar. Melon Camp kind of quality to it. Um, yeah, the singles. I mean, do we do we want to get into the singles a little bit? Is that sure. okay? Yeah, let's, let's yeah, that's do fine. It. 
Um, I love Sixth Avenue Heartache. I've always loved it. Can't loved it. it. Like Can't. from the first time I ever heard it, I was like, whoa, this song is great. Can't do it. Um, I like it. I, I, I don't love it. It's my least favorite single. But apparently it's because it's the Counting Crows, but I didn't know that yeah. until right yeah. now. Top 10 modern rock, to, uh, number eight mainstream rock, number 25 on the pop chart. Okay. Any, anything else about that one? I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say other than I love it. That was probably, I mean, that was certainly my favorite Wallflower song before this week. I don't know what, uh-huh. uh, what else it would have been. Yeah. I mean, the, the organ and guitar are both doing, I think, great stuff on that record and the, on that album. The harmony, har- harmony, harmony in yeah. the chorus. Yeah. Harmony. That's like the best um, part about it. It is. It's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. Uh, the difference is great. Um, uh, that's always been like, I know Quillen, we, we've talked about it and that's always been like one of your favorites. It's like the, a perfect song. The era. Almost. I, yeah. I love that song. Yeah. And it's... I really like it. I love the, the chorus, how, uh, the drums shift <sighs> yes. into like a tumbling sort of like, yeah. Tom floor tom. Yeah. 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 That's yep. really cool. And really the cool verses. That makes and... it. That yeah, is sure. the difference. Well, and I, <laughs> And I like, I mean, it's changing, uh, you know, the snare hits around the two and four uh, during the verse or during the chorus. And it's on the one and the three. Or no, it's all it's quarter notes. It's on every count during the uh, verse and the intro and such. And it's it's just a cool um, I have issues a little bit with like the 90s snare drum sound and stuff. But like the drumming Hmm. is awesome. The beats awesome melodies incredible um it's another one where i feel like the background vocal really carries the chorus it does and it's a it's a little much for me but um but it's a good harmony and it's like over singing but it it works it's yeah i mean it never took away from the song for me um i it it, i was able to tolerate it it's it's very it's really like it's without question my favorite song on the album i i yeah we'll get there but uh great Great song. Perfect, perfect song. Under the moonlight, carving the insides of a tree with a knife. Where will you the one about the boy's big sister? His best friend come along. He tried to kiss her. The only difference that I see is you are exactly the same as you used to. So I'm a little bit surprised to see that it did better on the charts than Sixth Avenue Heartache. Uh, number five on modern rock, number three on mainstream rock, number 19 on pop. It surely must have sparkled and faded, I, right? Sixth Avenue Heartache had a lot more longevity on the charts than The Difference, didn't it? That could totally. be, but I, I, The Difference is how I found out about The Wallflowers. I didn't know about huh. them until The Difference, and I remember that song being all over the place. I remember seeing it on MTV constantly. And, uh, Whoa. Yeah. It was, was that like an 89 X thing too? It was, um, I feel like it had to have been, but don't quote me on that. No, that's crazy because I remember hearing it on the radio, like two or three times. Oh, funny. Ever. I, I definitely feels recall. Like... I specifically remember seeing the music video a lot. Um, I couldn't, uh, tell you how much I heard the song on the radio. How about yeah. three Marlenas? That's an interesting one. I um, like it. I, I like it more than Sixth Avenue Heartache by a long shot. Um, and I did not like it when I was a kid. Um, it's pretty good, I think. Clever. and uh, There are some weird keyboard sounds in it that are very cool. 
And mm-hmm. I, what do you think? Is there an actual string arrangement, or do you think there's a Mellotron or some other kind of keyboard synth, uh, synthesizer? There's Ooh, definitely a, a Mellotron. It might be blended with real strings, but there's definitely yeah, a Yeah, it definitely sounds like a, a Mellotron string sound. And this, the, the arrangement for that instrument is the highlight of the song for me. There are some blue notes in there where... Uh, uh, they're like, I mean, I guess this might not make sense to non-musicians, but there's, there's a lot of like hard sevens in there yeah. that are creating this bluesy feel that really undercuts to me some of the kind of basicness of the chords otherwise. Totally. And uh, that's what makes it for me really is that Mellotron part. Um, I noted, I noted that the they don't sound real, the strings, um, yeah. to me, yeah. And Mellotron is like, which is always great. I mean, uh, uh, those tape strings always, yeah, is one of my favorite sounds. I think that they sounded more like keyboard strings or synth strings versus Mellotron. Something maybe digital, yeah, yeah. Like it didn't sound like Mellotron's great. Um, mm-hmm. it didn't sound even that good to me. Hmm. But it, but uh, I, I it, the parts that whatever it is you know is playing the part is great like I it's a nice part it's a fitting yeah. part. Um, I guess this is worth explaining. A Mellotron actually has taped sounds of instruments playing, and so the keys when you activate the keys on a Mellotron like a keyboard they actually play a tape of an instrument playing that instrument. So this is the sound that you hear on Strawberry Fields Forever and and uh, uh, Wilco's Summer Teeth and a variety of other really cool sounding records. Plan. And one of the coolest things about a Mellotron is that when you take your hands off of the key, the sound does not decay in a natural way like the actual instrument would. So it's this uh, really interesting blend of real sounds and fake sounds. And um, that's what we're talking about, as opposed to a digital approximation, like a MIDI approximation of a string sound, which would just be, you know, a digitally programmed uh, sound. Yeah. So I was going to say I love Three Marlenas, too. <clears throat> Excuse me, too. Um, but you, when I was a kid, would you, I... like, could you handle being married to Three Marlenas? <laughs> I I already am. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> um, Two of them are always hidden away when Quillen and I come over. <laughs> when uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't really care much about it though because it's such a simple song. Like you said, it's like a one one five four five, mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and it's just back and forth and back and forth, and there's not much to it. But I also was too young to maybe comprehend. Um, I, I guess the concept of the song, like I thought he was literally talking about three women named Marlena. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's just kind of a quirky thing to sing about. But you get a little bit older and you could see how it's like three sides to one woman. And I think that seems like a really great, um, a great title and a great approach for a song. And I know that it's never, not the first time it's been never done. occurred to me. Really? No. Oh. Cuz you got to understand I'm still hearing these songs through 6th grade ears in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, I I would love hearing that. Yeah, and it's really it's it, it hit me a little bit extra because I um I I married a woman named Marlena and her birthday was yesterday. And I posted uh, some pictures of her, three pictures of her. And it didn't occur to me until like eight <laughs> hours later, I was flipping through it and there are pictures of her drinking. And because I was trying to make a joke about her being an alcoholic, which she's not. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one is like casual every day, Marlena with a beer. And one's like her on vacation with like uh, a margarita. And then one is her like dressed up for date night with a wine. And then I was like, oh, my God, three Marlenas. <laughs> there it is. And, uh, and it made me love it a little bit extra um, just Great. because of that. So, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Three Wire Lane is number 17 on the modern rock chart, number 21 on the mainstream rock chart, and number 35 on the pop chart. They were a pretty um, successful band. This was overall, uh, right? sold f- album. Four, four million, four million copies, something like that. Four um, million horses brought down. Quill, as the uh, since you're going to be the uh, you know the optimist this season, let me uh, talk a little more about this record, and then we'll let you shit on it. I I don't well I'll, I'll no just let me just let me have my piece now. I all right, we gonna do a shit sandwich? Yeah, I, I mean I'll, I don't okay, I don't have right. anything like terribly negative to say about it. I just I you know I spent time with this album in the past and and thought it was bland and and nice and uh, fine and I listened to it twice for in preparation for this episode and um it's funny the first time I was like holy shit. This is like a nice, like, you know, bar rock, like power pop album with a little bit of twang to it. And it's pretty good. And then on the second time through, I just like nothing stuck out to me at all, except Mm -hmm. for the singles. And I think it's just, yeah, even, even though I'm, I don't like Sixth Avenue Heartache overall four singles pretty good run of singles and just that's it that's where it ends and i don't think anything on the album is particularly bad or anything it's just whatever like it's just totally not memorable to me at all just perfectly fine music that i don't have any feelings about so Mm -hmm. that's all i have to say about it okay no like no shit talking at all did you think the song laughing out out loud uh sounded like the difference? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> laughing out loud would probably be my vote for the weakest track on the record. Between this is between laughing out loud and and God don't make lonely girls. That's when I feel like they just sound like a a bar band. Um couple songs that I I really really like and would like to draw attention to. Track 3 is called The Bleeders or Just Bleeders and um it's got an interesting kind of climbing uh, verse. Uh, it's creative chords, creative timing, uh, really led by the keys. And uh, that's got a great chorus. And it's just another song just kind of about being in despair, but uh, I, I think it's very effective. I feel more strong emotions listening to Bleeders than I do listening to One Headlight at this point, which is probably mostly about uh, exposure. Um Invisible City is a song that's really kind of precious to me. It's very still and quiet. The, the guitars are doing a lot of very pretty atmospheric stuff. And um, there's some beautiful chords in that song. That uh, was my favorite on the album when I was a kid. And I guess probably since my feelings about this are so dictated by how I felt as a kid, I think Invisible City is probably still my favorite favorite track on the album make expensive wines but all of these horses that you chase around in the end they are the ones that always bring you Uh, Josephine is another ballad. That's yeah, I really like very that good. Too. Yeah, I like Josephine a lot. Um, the chorus of "Angel on My Bike." "Angel on My Bike" is a bad verse, good chorus song. It's kind of uh, there's not much going on on the verses, but the chorus is huge. I think that if they had worked harder and well, I don't know about worked harder. I mean, they they did a good job on this record, but I think with different verses, "Angel on My Bike" could have been a big hit. Uh, I think that that's a really, really big chorus. And finally, just straight crying into your beer, bar rock with heavy pedal steel is something that I always love. That's the last track, I Wish I Felt Nothing, which is exactly, and that's the sentiment of the entire song. It's just a very dark, sad thing. Um, And I think that that track is pretty good too. But um, uh, if I can just keep talking and talking... I want to make a plug for the Wallflowers follow-up to this. 
the 2000 album Breach when I feel like Jacob Dylan's just in a slightly different place and he's got he's introduced a cutting wit and a little bit of a a, a bitterness that's a little bit of an acerbic thing into these songs that like makes such a huge difference in adding some flavor and I think if bringing down the horse is very Tom, very Tom Petty breach is a uh, sort of Elvis Costello and Elvis Costello actually is featured on one of the tracks, but um, there are some songs on this album that are impeccable, I think. And I would really strongly urge people to listen to them. Uh, hand me down. Sounds like very basic guitar rock until you realize that it's about being Bob Dylan's son. Uh, you're a hand me down. It's better when you're not around. Um, that that whole track is just about feeling like you're, you're he's being shut down because he's Bob's kid, and it's great. The single Sleepwalker has this brisk pace and like it's all minor, and uh, man, it's got a killer killer verse I think, and um, and then there are some things where that Rami Jaffe, the keyboardist, he still plays on this record. There's some songs where he gets to really go wild on the pop ear candy and track four. I mean, there's just these three tracks in a row. There's this song called I've been delivered. That's just, there's just piling on the ear candy, but there's this great groove and the keys are just running wild all over it. And there are some forgettable songs, but um, the last thing I'll say about it is there's a very, I think very sweet moving song called up from under on it. That is, uh, almost entirely mm, I think mostly guitar there might be a little bit of like banjo or mandolin on it and strings and uh, I think it's the best lyrics that Jacob Dylan's ever written so I just feel like his his personality he figured out how to write and arrange the music in such a way that suddenly there's like a there's a brightness and again a, a little spice that cuts his his presence cuts through the record so much better and i i really without reservations i recommend listening to that record Yeah, I was going to mention uh, Up From Under, I think, um, well, Al, you put it on one of the first three mix CDs you oh, ever made wow. for me. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was a standout, even on a mix CD, um, you know, going back almost 15 years. And that was like... That was a real gamble, showing my uncoolness. <laughs> well, I didn't remember. I couldn't remember if it was The Wallflowers or if it was a Jacob Dylan solo release, because it does. it sounds like a solo uh uh-huh. song but um yeah i was looking for it and i couldn't i could only remember the the imagery of it of like ice cream yeah uh, from ice the lyrics cream falling yeah the days before i met you girl were like ice cream falling down on the shoes of my world yeah i yeah. it's it, it's better sung probably than spoken, <laughs> spoken or read but it it's it's a great song it's a great song yeah. um you know, yeah, it's up there with Sixth Avenue Heartache. I say that half jokingly um, <laughs> <laughs> because you could tell that he put a lot more work into it. But um, yeah, they, uh, you know, I listened to half of Breach and it sounds like they're just a good band. Like if I ever was around and saw like saw them at a small venue and just like happened upon a band like that, I would be like, damn, they're great. You mm-hmm. know, but. Um, but the weight of the huge singles from bringing down the house 
and <laughs> um, <laughs> and being Bob Dylan's son, were just like you. you it, it it's just really a difficult position to be in, I think. But I do think that there is never a moment where I'm like, they kind of suck. Like it never comes mm-hmm. to that. It's like they're they're at least a solid to very good bands, even though they're not a band. Uh, his songs are very good, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I was not even aware that there was a follow up. Like I, I guess I totally lost track of them after. Yeah, they've kept going since then too. Bringing down the horse. Um, but uh, I will say, Al, when you suggested listening to the first few songs, I, I you know, I had never heard anything from it. Um, yeah. And I started the first song, and I thought it, you were joking it because it, it sounded <laughs> like nir- like they were trying to be nirvana like what yeah like the melody was very much i know like, i'm not saying that that song is great but well just the melody i mean it just it sounded like a cobain melody like 100 percent huh. um and and so i was like okay what is this and and i you know i kept listening and and then it was just like oh this is like pretty solid like better version of the previous album like it just it sounded mm-hmm. like they were more um real fully realized and like it, it mm-hmm. sounded more like just like a pretty solid power pop band um yeah uh fun fact uh frank black of all people sings some background vocals on that record interesting wow this is of course during his nashville phase uh okay. Let's move on. Cool. Yeah. excited to talk about the mainstream rock number one from the album nine lives (laughs) (laughs) it's the bad boys of boston (laughs) aerosmith with the song falling in love is hard on the knees oh my god a 100 percent certified banger cvs banger <laughs> uh i don't know it's a little racy for cvs i love this song is it about giving it's very, oral sex i mean of course it's implied at least in part but uh it's you know it's a clever lyric uh i i think this song is funny whether on purpose or not it's definitely at least slightly funny on purpose um, the chorus is great. Come on, how are you gonna mess with that chorus? And it's got those great horns, and uh, the bridge is totally killer. I mean, it, this song's got it all. It, it really is a, uh, it's prime '90s pop rock. It's it, you know they produced the shit out of it, and uh, and it works well. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Um, I've got a, a running Spotify playlist that I'm trying to build of songs that are terrible, but fun to listen to. And uh, it's called The Shits. And so far I've got Shakedown by Bob Seger from the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack and the Motown song by Rod Stewart and The Temptation. And now I've just added uh, Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees. It's perfect. It's perfect for this. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a long long project mm-hmm. quill any thoughts on falling in love is hard <laughs> on the knees i don't know it. oh my god dude what's the verse what's the verse melody oh, there's a very funny do, line do, where he goes do, 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 we do. was making love when you told me that you love me <laughs> yeah that's so good oh my god yeah. uh that's nine it. lives that's the joke <laughs> yeah nine, nine lives in general has some good songs i mean i think that pink was a really good single 
And um, you mean Pank? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pank. Did you like the song "Ain't That a Bitch"? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> Jeez, I loved it yeah. when I was a kid. There is some kind of song about like a circle of life or something like that, where they're, they're singing about time. That I remember uh, the full, full circle. circle. I remember liking that one a lot. Oh, wasn't Hole in My Soul Hole a single in My too? Soul was kind of a classic. <laughs> oh my God, that's stupid. <laughs> There's a hole in my soul. That's, go- that's, that's going on the shit forever. too. <laughs> it's a place where the garden never grows, man. Uh, there's, you know, there's an explicit Indian influence on this record, including in the song, of course, Taste of India, which I got to know as a B-side to um, uh, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Um, Wait, did, does that mean you had like the, the CD single? I did single? buy the CD single of Don't Want to Miss a Thing, yeah. Really? Yeah. You you heard that song and loved it. I think it was mostly that it was uh, it, they were selling it for like two dollars, and uh, oh, okay, you didn't turn down an offer for a two dollar new CD. Yeah, uh, when you were True. when you were at that time, at that age, got to build the collection. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's about the credibility. If you hypothetically <laughs> yes. were to invite a girl over and she were hypothetically to accept your invitation there's a chance she was going to see your CD collection and judge it by its size. <laughs> Not the quality. No. <laughs> okay. You'd be too busy locking lips for her to really read all the titles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, pop number one. Uh, is this the? <laughs> no, this isn't the first time we've talked about the Spice Girls. Uh, wannabe. Yeah. I would put this on my list of bad songs that are fun to listen to. I think it might be a good song that's fun to listen to. <laughs> I I definitely would feel like I. I mean, you always got to question why your guilty pleasures are guilty, but I feel like that would be a a guilty pleasure for me. Yeah, it might be just a fun song. Yeah. I don't know that it's good or bad. I don't know that it's supposed to be. Like, that was never really something that they were going mm-hmm. for. Like, we're going to write a great song. No, they just wanted to have fun and write, it, like, a catchy song that people liked and had fun to. And it was. It was effective. Yeah. Uh, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down by Puff Daddy. I vaguely remember. I got to confess, I didn't go back and listen to it. For this episode, yeah, I, I meant to. And, and what's the to. primary sample from that? Oh, I think it's "Break My Stride" by Matthew Wilder. Is that his name? Uh, it's it's definitely "Break Break My Stride." Okay. Oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. You're yes. right. You're right. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, because they actually sing the yeah. words uh, "Can't nobody hold me down." Oh no, I've got to keep on moving. Right. Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. right. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I don't, I guess I don't remember the song and I wish I would have checked it out in advance, but I watched, um, wh- I've been watching the Chris Rock show on HBO Max when I've been running on the treadmill lately. And I saw Puff Daddy and Mace perform mm. and it was so bad. It was uh, Been Around the mm. World. That was what they performed. And it was so unbelievably bad. It was just like, I can't believe that this was what it was. It was like the most popular thing yeah. in the world. Like No Way Out was enormous. And it just, uh, I, I like it was. That was definitely the weakest was single. It? I think so. Okay. I, I hope so. I certainly hope so. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that was really bad. Well, I don't know. Actually, yeah. I'll be missing you is not not a good song in retrospect. But yeah, uh, I, I I think I need to to take some time and sort of revisit that because it was also a time when like being 
uh, a rockist. Like I just wanted so desperately to hold on to like this alternative thing. And it was definitely like dying and like R and B and hip hop was taken over. And all of my friends were like listening to that at parties instead of seven Mary three or whatever garbage I was listening to. And I was like, (laughs) no, what's happening. (laughs) And, um, and so I, I felt a little bit of resentment as a kid about that. And obviously, you know, looking back, there's all kinds of issues related to that. But um, I would like to give No Way Out a fair shot. And I have never done that. So I need to need to do a little bit of homework on that, I think. Okay. My memory is that maybe track three just features a completely unhinged Buster Rhymes oh. cameo. And so that... I think is definitely worth oh. listening to some of that Buster Rhymes stuff from like around, you know, 97, 98 is, uh, awesome. Is I've great. always liked Buster yeah. Rhymes. Buster Rhymes is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some album tracks on when disaster strikes that, uh, I, I come back to pretty regularly. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at the modern rock charts. Uh, anything that you see that you want to chat about? I wanted to mention uh, Gone Away by Offspring from Ixnay on the Ombre. I think one of the the great Offspring singles. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. my God. oh, my God. Glenn, did you hear him say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's got a great chorus. Oh, my God. You don't like, like no. that song? <laughs> I feel like that song's terrible. I've always hated that. Um, yeah, what? I don't. I, sorry, <laughs> it's like a little bridge between punk and uh, punk. Oh, and emo. And I feel like it's a, right. it's a good. No, keep going. <laughs> it's good stuff on the way. It's got maybe a little bit of like Metallica there it mixed is. in. That that I hear. I do hear uh, yeah. some load in uh, Ixnair and the Ombre. Uh huh. But uh, oh no, I I I like. All that, all that offspring shit that came before, uh, you know, pretty fly. Uh, I think all the, all the choruses are just great choruses. Wow. So there's like, yeah, that fits in really well with the the dark tones that I think about with Secret Samadhi and uh, and bringing down the well one headlight. I wonder if that's just like yeah, the, yeah. Again, going back to like this was like your your era. You know, well, you're in your prime, you're 12 and 13 and you're just like feeling the stuff on the radio and it's like, that's, that was made for you. Huh. Yeah. Cool. I'm sorry. I take you it don't back. ever feel like I don't take it back. I, I do you don't ever feel back, like but... the world is so cold. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't ever feel like heaven is never. so far away. I've never felt that way. Oh man. The world is nice and warm. I felt that I feel that way every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Take us home. <laughs> Anything else? Not that we haven't yeah, covered. I, Nothing no, the else. Only, the only thing I noticed was uh a song that we'll eventually have an episode on, uh the impression that I get is there for the first time at number thirty five. And we'll okay. eventually have an episode on that. Uh, and I look forward to that one. Cool. All right. Um, let's rate one headlight. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many headlights are you going to give this thing? Two. I fixed it. <laughs> the car is fully functioning. <laughs> Driving home with both headlights. So you're giving it a perfect rating. Two headlights. <laughs> wow. Wow, Travis. That's as many headlights as there are in a car. I, I didn't so, yeah, think I guess... that you liked the song that much. <laughs> so, yeah, 40% of the headlights working on a, a functioning vehicle is what I'll give it. Wow, only two. <laughs> cool. I give it four horses brought down. <laughs> wow. I liked this song. Okay. I'm going to give it 3.5 Marlenas. 
Actually, you know what? I'm going to give it 3.75 Marlenas. I don't usually give uh, 0.25s, but I'm going to go for it here. Uh, it's not quite a four for me, which for me means like I unequivocally like it. Uh, 3.75 Marlenas. Yeah. So not bad. Cool. Great. Uh, uh, you, were you annoyed by how much Jacob Dylan's trying to be like uh, Nirvana on this track? <laughs> Can't say that I was. I wouldn't say he wanted to be them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see when if ever we run into a Nirvana yeah, wannabe again. I, I think our, we might be totally clear of that. We might need a new metric or just to abandon that. I had a lot of fun talking about the wallflowers. I did too. This is a long episode. I love the wallflowers. <laughs> I love One Headlight <laughs> by the Wallflowers. Tell me all your thoughts on Pod as part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine. It's becoming increasingly clear that the best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group. Tell me all your thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. Uh, we will be revisiting U2 next week with their song, Gazing at the Grandpa. <laughs> That's not what it's called. I'm sorry. We'll be talking about the U2 song, Peering at the Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We'll be talking about the song, Staring at the Sun. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>